the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, I come to you this morning because I'm expecting to hear from you. And even though I've read this passage all week and I've got a stack of notes, Lord, I know there's even more (laughs) that you have for, for me personally to understand this morning. Would you help us as a family to come to your word expectant and ready to obey? In Jesus' name I pray. So we've been um, working our way through the book of Mark, and we've been in the chapter 2 of Mark, and if, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but all of the stories in Mark chapter 2, can I get one of those tissues, Judah? Thank you. Um, Are full of why questions. Every single story, someone's asking Jesus, why are you doing this? Or why are you not doing this? Um, A couple weeks ago, we heard about you know, Jesus healing the paralytic man. And why are, you, why are you out here trying to act like you can forgive people's sins? You know, that was the first question. And then last week, Julie um, brought to us this question of why are you eating with riffraff, scumbags? Like, why, Jesus? Why are you doing this? I won't ruin the why for you for next week. But, but the why this week um, is people want to know, why are your disciples not fasting? Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Um, Let me add a little bit of context before we continue on in the passage here. So According to the law of Moses, the Jewish people were only obligated to fast one day a year, and this was on the Day of Atonement. This was a day in which all the sin of the whole nation was going to be reckoned with, and there was like a couple goats involved, and one of them gets slaughtered, and one of them literally becomes a scapegoat and gets sent out in the wilderness, and there's all this symbolism and imagery, and the people were to afflict themselves in, in hopes that God would hear them and forgive them of all of their sin. But the thing we know about um, God's people is that over the years, um, from the time that that Moses was given commandments, they began to add a lot more of their own laws and and additions to the laws. (laughs) Um, And by the time Jesus came around, um, the Pharisees had kind of instituted regular rhythms of of fasting two days a week. Um, Mondays and Thursdays were the days that they were devoted to fasting. And we know from other moments where Jesus is preaching that the Pharisees really love to make a show of their fasting, right? They would roll in like, I'm so tired because I haven't eaten all day, you know, feeling shaky. Um, They wouldn't comb their hair. They wouldn't wash up. They like really made sure everybody knew they're suffering over here (laughs) because they're so devoted. Um, And it seems like, you know, we even hear the story of Jesus talking about the Pharisee, like, thank God I'm not like this Poor sinner over here. I fast two days a week, you know. Um, they're trying to rack up some, some spiritual credits, right? Now, John's disciples, you know, are maybe a little bit different. We know that John and the Pharisees didn't really get along. John liked to call the Pharisees broods of vipers. We don't really go around saying things like that these days. Maybe like, 
pack of snakes or something is, uh, makes a little more sense to us. Um, but you can imagine from what we know about John the Baptist, what his disciples kind of might be like. I mean, John was a pretty out there guy, right? He's living in the wilderness. He's really living a life of abstinence. Um, He wears camel hair and eats locusts and honey. That's his diet, okay? So he's, he's really abstained from a lot of things in this life. You can imagine that his disciples, his followers, felt like a pretty high level of, of um, expectation to follow in his footsteps. So we don't exactly know what days they were fasting, but it seems like they were also fasting on the same days that the Pharisees were fasting. They couldn't be outdone by the hypocrites, right? <laughs> They're radical. Um, well, in three of the of four Gospels, this passage um, is shared. And in every Gospel, it's actually shared right after the story of, of Levi spreading the feast for Jesus. And so it's commonly believed that this moment actually happened at the same time. So the people asking these questions are, can you just imagine them being like a little extra irritated? Like not only is Jesus in the same house sitting at the same table as these guys, but he's, he's eating and we're not even eating. You know what I mean? Like we're over here hungry because we're so devoted to God. And this guy who's supposed to be here bringing the word of God is sitting here just like eating everything <laughs> with these sinners. Can you, can you feel um, their irritation? So there's two reasons at that time why um, you would not be expected to fast on a, on a fast day. Um, One was if a fast day happened to fall on a festival day. We know that the Lord gave the people um, many occasions to remember and celebrate his goodness. And those festivals came along with a lot of feasting and joy and celebration. So if a festival day falls on a fast day, of course, we're, we're celebrating, right? The other reason why you would be exempted from a fast is if you were participating in a wedding. Weddings went on for about seven days. And they were one of the most joy-filled moments in the life of Jewish people. And they would feast all day, every day, for seven whole days. This is why it was a really big deal that Jesus turned the water into wine. (laughs) It's not just like a three-hour party and they ran out of wine. It's a seven-day party and they ran out of wine, okay? Um, So Jesus' response. So I feel like those things are really important to know, to understand Jesus' response. So let's see how Jesus responds to these people who are questioning why his disciples aren't fasting. Mark chapter 2, verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and the worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins." I'm not going to lie with you guys. I have never really spent a lot of time thinking about this passage until this week. Um, And I was really wrestling with what does this mean? It feels like Jesus is kind of all over the board um, in his response. And and just to kind of get myself started out in in meditating on what's God trying to say through this, I I started reminiscing 
about weddings that I'd been a part of over the course of my life. And I'm like, okay, friend of the bridegroom at the wedding. You know, what, what was it? What did that feel like? What was that? What were those moments like? Um, and I've had, you know, the privilege to be a part of a, a number of weddings over the years. Um, but I found myself mostly thinking about the most recent wedding I was in. Megan Bishop and Jake Bishop. Some of you guys were there. Um, and I'm not just saying this because they're in the room right now. It really was one of the most fun weddings I've ever been to. Not counting my own. <laughs> um, but I was sort of remembering, like, oh, yeah, like, all Meg's friends came in town. We, we went to Green Dot Stables, and then we came back to my house, and we had a, there was lots of gifts, and we had all this dessert and drinks. And, and then, you know, there was, the, there was the rehearsal, and there was a pizza party, and then there was the day of the wedding, and all the bridesmaids, we had brunch together in the loft, and I made all this food, and we're more gifts and more blessings and more laughter and more jokes. And, and then the wedding itself was so intentional and so thoughtful. I mean, you guys know Meg and Jake. They're like very intentional about everything they do with their life and every moment exalted Jesus and Meg's like the most socially networked person you'll ever meet. So there was like 7,000 people in the room and, and a pastor from the Congo flies all the way here for her wedding, you know. It's a really, there was just so much anticipation to that moment and, and being able to sit um, with them after the ceremony and you guys know they're all about tacos. So there was like a whole taco bar and... My husband was running around with a tie on it around his head, dancing his legs off. Like it was just, it was a very joyous occasion. And, and the reason I was like kind of sitting with all these memories, and maybe you're starting to think of memories of, of like special moments that you've been a part of, is well, of course no one's gonna fast at a wedding. Like, of course, if you're with your, your dear friends who are celebrating the most special moment of their life, like, of course, you're going to be all in and, like, enjoying the moment with them. Like, it's not even, I just, you just can't, I just don't even belong in the same sentence, you know? <laughs> Fasting in a wedding. I started realizing, like, oh, man, Jesus' friends they might not have like 100% got that he was fully God and fully man, but they knew this is not anybody ordinary. This is not just another teacher. And many of them were beginning to have these moments of enlightening, realizing he's the Messiah. He's him. He's the one we've been waiting for. What do we got in the house? Like, bring out the wine. Like, go kill the cow in the backyard. Like, what do we have to put before this man? This is the moment we've been waiting for. He's just changed our lives. Like, and this is why everywhere throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus going and people are like rolling out the table. Like, come, Jesus, come to my house. The ones that are spreading the feast are the ones that are aware of who he is and are aware this is the moment to celebrate. This is the moment to celebrate the moment we've been waiting for. Um, I want to review again real quick the reasons why the Pharisees um, and John's disciples were fasting. So, you know, John's message was a message of repentance. He was really calling people like, hurry up and get your lives right before the Messiah shows up. You know, we're waiting for God's rescuer to come. You all got to get it together. <laughs> that was his strong message. Um, the Pharisees, we know, were, were always trying to, like, mess with the standard of righteousness, you know, 
try to make it harder and harder for people to achieve righteousness. Um, And yet here's Jesus' friends who do not have it all together, but they're sitting there at the table with him. And I mean, it would just be awkward if they were fasting. Like everyone else is fasting because they're waiting for the Messiah to show up. But if you really thought like this guy's it, Like, wouldn't it be weird to be sitting across the table from Jesus and be like, I'm not eating today because I'm hoping the Messiah will come. I mean, I know you're the Messiah, but like, it's just, it's just awkward, right? But Jesus, um, he doesn't, he doesn't dismiss fasting forever. So we know that Jesus doesn't come to throw things out. He comes to fulfill things, right? He comes to make the picture complete. And so in the very next breath, when he says, like, this isn't the moment for fasting. This is not, like, the moment we're having right now. In the very next breath, he says, but that moment's coming back. Because the, the, this, this wedding celebration isn't going to last forever. I'm not going to be at this table forever. And there's going to be a day when my friends are going to long for me again. And the thing that he changes about fasting is the motivation. He changes the motivation with his presence. Because once you've experienced his presence, you know you need his presence. And you know you want his presence more and more and more and more. And all of a sudden, John's fast and the Pharisees' fast doesn't make sense anymore. It's, it's almost pointless now. Yes, there is, a, there is a real repentance that comes from fasting. Repentance is, is a natural outcome of fasting. If you've never tried it, let me tell you. Go without food for 24 hours and you will instantly be aware of how selfish and greedy and miserable and cranky you are. Okay? Works every time. Um, So there's a way in which our weakness makes us aware of our need for God and more likely to confess and repent and humble ourselves before him, right? Um, So I don't want to dismiss the the repentance edge of John's fast, but it's very different to repent um, when you haven't yet had the hope of forgiveness versus repenting when you are convinced you've already been forgiven. It's a very different posture. Do you feel that? So here's, the, here's Jesus' friends, and they've tasted that the Messiah is good, and their motivation for fasting can be totally different now. I've tasted and I've seen that he is good, and I don't need anything else. And I'm not fasting to be seen. I'm fasting to see him. (laughs) I'm not fasting in hopes that I'll be forgiven. I'm I'm fasting because I have been forgiven. I've tasted the power of the resurrection. And I know I need less of me and more of him. (laughs) Empty me, Father, so I can be filled. He changes the motivation of fasting. And then all of a sudden, the things that he says next make a lot more sense. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. 
And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. I'm not a wine expert, but um, I learned this week that new wine is still in the process of fermenting. And I do know a few things about fermenting. People are, that know me are laughing, because if you've ever been to my house, there's always at least a few concoctions bubbling on my counter. Um, I have a sort of a hobby of fermenting, I guess. I've fermented just about every fruit and vegetable you can think of. I've got sourdough on my counter, kombucha, water kefir. Some of you are like, what language is she speaking right now? Um, I haven't ever fermented wine, but just about everything else, okay? And what I can tell you, I won't bore you with all the science of it, but the fermentation process is a lively one. There's action happening. Um, There's bubbles and the good bacteria is fighting a war with all the bad bacteria and it's taking over so that it can preserve whatever it is you're trying to to preserve. Um, And if you don't have the proper container for whatever you're trying to ferment, it will combust. I can say this from personal experience. I had a a, a row, a, a shelf in my dining room of several different kinds of um, carrots and jalapenos I was experimenting with. And um, if you can imagine, a glass jar is a very solid container. So if you put that lid on too tight and the fermentation starts going, it will split the jar in half. Like that's how powerful the fermentation process is. So I'm in my house. I suddenly hear the sound of running water in my dining room. There's no plumbing in my dining room. Why is it running water? Oh, the jar, this huge jar just split right open. Nothing but salt water and some carrots in there. That's amazing, okay? So fermentation is a, is a powerful process. And as Jesus was describing, wineskins, new wineskins, have some give to them. So when you pour new wine into a new wineskin, it can stretch. It can hold. Um, it, it has give to adapt to all the, the bubbles and the power and the action that's happening in there. An old wineskin has already been used, it's already stretched out, it's kind of brittle, and if you pour fresh wine in there to ferment, all that action is going to bust it right in half, just like my, my glass jar busted. Um, it can't stand up to all the power. And so I started thinking, what, um, what are these old habits and old practices that we're holding on to that can't hold up to the power that the Holy Spirit's about to pour out. And that's what he was challenging the Pharisees and, and even John's disciples with, of like, guys, you've you got these practices of fasting, but like, are your motivations really going to be able to stand when the Holy Spirit's poured out real soon? Like, are those motivations really going to be able to hold the power of God? You need a new motivation. You need a new wineskin to be able to hold the power of the Holy Spirit. So I started thinking about this line, you know, um, the friends of the bridegroom, they're going to they're gonna fast someday when the bridegroom's gone. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. So I started thinking, okay, who's sitting at that table? Who were the friends of Jesus that were hearing him say this? 
And what did their lives look like after he was gone? Do we ever see them returning to fasting? Um, so I flipped to the book of Acts, and um, my boys and I have actually been reading through the book of Acts recently, and that is because anytime I ask them what book of the Bible they want to read, they always pick Acts. <laughs> and I get it. It's an exciting book. So I flipped to the book of Acts, and um, I found three places where the friends of Jesus, who um, the apostles um, would, uh, it's, it's mentioned or told to us that, that they were fasting. The very first one is in Acts 13, 2. And it says, um, there were some prophets, some teachers all gathered. In verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Very simply, fasting was a part of their worship. I'll come back to that in a moment. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then in verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So secondly, we see that fasting was a part of their mission. It was a part of them being sent out with a proclamation of the gospel. The third instance is in the next chapter in Acts 14. Paul's been out preaching. They've stoned him almost to death left him to die. He miraculously raises up and gets right back to it. <laughs> um, bothering people everywhere with the good news of Jesus. And um, he, he goes around and is, is revisiting all of these believers, all these young people that are young, people that are young in their faith and have just committed their lives to Jesus. And he begins planting churches. And it says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the third place we see um, Jesus' friends fasting after he leaves is in establishing the church. First is worship. Second is they're on a mission with the gospel. And third is the establishing of the church. Fasting as a part of worship, very simply, is just emptying ourselves so that we can see him more. It's declaring that he's worthy. It's declaring that he's worthy. Like, there's literally nothing else. Like, not even the most essential, basic human need I have for food is worth more to me than knowing you, Jesus. It's declaring his value. It's saying, yes, I need this stuff for energy and for life, but I need you for eternal life. I need, I need spiritual energy more than I need this physical energy right now. It's declaring with our whole being how good he is. It's more than a song. It's more than just reaching in our pocket. It completes the whole circle. It gets us out of the way, okay? And I think it's really significant. I was so struck um, the Lord literally just gave me this last night, y'all. <laughs> like eight, nine o'clock last night. I was, all week I was like, there's something missing. There's something else. There's something more about this fasting than last night. He's like, go look in Acts. Go see where they were fasting in Acts. And it's really significant that, that the first place we see it is them just worshiping. Because worship is the foundation of everything we are as a church. It has to be. If we're not exalting Jesus to the fullest, 
Nothing else we do even makes sense. Nothing else even makes sense. Worship has to be the first place that we give everything we have. It informs everything else that we do. And as we worship, the Lord reveals to us who he is. And he's a father who always wants a bigger family. <laughs> he's a father who's always been after his lost sons and daughters. And he enjoys our worship, but he immediately says, okay, I got plans, y'all. <laughs> I want this guy and I want this guy. Set him apart. I got stuff for them to do. The apostles, their response um, to this call to go forth into the world wasn't to have a strategizing meeting. And I realized at that time there probably wasn't a bunch of books written about evangelism yet, but that wasn't their first go-to either. <laughs> like, they went from worshiping and fasting, they get this word like, okay, let's pray and fast. <laughs> okay? The fasting's still there. We're just, instead of like, singing, we're going to intercede, you know? But the emptying, we're, we're so aware that whatever this thing is you've called us to, we can't do ourselves. We cannot do ourselves. I am broke, you guys. I'm so broke over the pain of this city and the depth of sin that's wrecking people's lives. I came in here so heavy-hearted this morning. Maybe just in the last 24 hours, like the stories I could tell you of people's despair and hopelessness and, and the, how far they are from Jesus with nothing, with nothing. And guys, systematic injustice is complicated. Generational poverty is complicated. Sin is complicated, but the power of the Holy Spirit is not complicated. It's not complicated. And when I think about everything I have in this life, like my privilege, my resources, my education, my, my life experiences, when I think about even what we all have together, like if we pile it all up, everything you know and everything you guys know and the stuff you guys have, and we pile it all up, like... It's not enough to make a change. And I don't know about you, but my, like, do you hear this generation that we have that's crying for a change? Every single business that's getting started, first thing you're going to hear is how they're having some impact in the world. And part of me loves it because I'm a product of this generation, okay? So part of me is like, jiving with it like yes like this is the generation that's really waking up that's really being honest about how things really are that wants to 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 you leverage everything we've got to make a difference and the other part of me is like I hear so many people that don't know Jesus crying for something to be different and there's a place don't get me wrong like there is a place for businesses and resources and all this kind of stuff. Like there's a place for all of that in God's kingdom, but it's not, it's not the end story. <laughs> the apostles didn't have any of that. This was an uncivilized world. They didn't have any of that. They barely had roads. Okay? <laughs> um, there's a power 
that the church has to tap into. Like, I don't know what else we're doing. Like, why are we even here if we're not tapping into this power? And when I think about these people that I love, that you love, that you know that are hurting around us, that are literally flailing, 4.30 a.m. this morning, throwing rocks at my godson's car, shattering glass, you know, like flailing, so much angst, so much pain. There's nothing outside of the power of God that can address that. And I've been feeding myself with stories of people in other places that are encountering, are having life-changing encounters with the power of God. But I got to a point this week, I'm tired of hearing stories. I want to have a story, Detroit Church. Like, are we, are we going to have a story of our own? Like, are we so content with this, with our methods and our, our programs and whatever we got going on in our lives? Like, are we so content? Are we ready for what God wants to do for this new wine that he wants to pour out? I don't know. Like, are we ready? The other thing that was just, it's just really been troubling me is, um, The way Jesus came and changed all of this was with his presence. Like there was a lot of ways that he could have set up a rescue plan. He's God. He can do it however he wants. He can do it however he wants. He could have like, you know, come down from a little helicopter on a rope and shuffled a bunch of billion dollars to everybody and sprinkled some blessings and got some hallelujahs and went right back up to heaven. Like he could have done it that way, but he didn't. He didn't. We all know how he came. He came and he, he lived and he sat and he ate and he, he spent all of his time with irritating people that smelled and were rude and thought they really knew something and were cocky and had attitudes and were so freaking ungrateful entitled like all the things that irritate us about humanity and make us just want to do this he came and put himself in all of it it was his presence that came and changed and he's called us to be a people of presence a people of presence he's called us to be a people that are firstly after his present presence and then willing to be present to this suffering world. I don't know why he chose to do it this way, but his Holy Spirit is is given to others through us. Through us. And I'm so, I'm so thankful. Sonny said it so well this morning. I'm so thankful to be a part of a body that is quick to give, that's quick to give stuff. Stuff lasts like five minutes, guys. It's like this much of what people need. They need us to be present with all of ourselves. With all of ourselves. We get tired of people after just a few hours. I get tired of people. We got nothing, like we have nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. But Jesus' friends, they found really early on, there's one way to move in power. Prayer and fasting. (laughs) Get me out of the way, Lord. (laughs) 
it's you and only you. Like, that's it. We got one plan. <laughs> one plan. There's no plan B. One plan. And as much as we're all hungry for those dramatic moments when someone's life completely changed, that's also not the end goal. I want the dramatic conversion stories. Like, baptism is my most favorite thing in life. Line them up. Find a body of water. Let's baptize people. But the end goal is to have sons and daughters who know who they are, who are a part of a family, who are secure in their community, who are making disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Who don't think Detroit's the only place on planet Earth, but have a global mindset. They're ready for the nations. Like, that's the dream. The dream is for the church to be established on the earth because Jesus is coming back, not for individuals, but for the church. For the church. Okay. So that's the third time that we see them on their knees praying and fasting. It's the establishing of the church. Do you see how it's there from start to finish? Like, it's there in the worship. It's there in the going forth. It's there in the establishing. Like, there is no point in the life of the early church in which fasting was not a part of it. Jesus was not playing when he said, when I'm gone, there's going to be a day where they're going to fast again. That wasn't just like a one little, like, side note. And we like to treat it like it is. I literally read, a, I read so many commentaries this week. I literally read one guy who's like, well, Jesus never exactly said you have to fast. Come on, y'all. There's a lot of things he never said. You have to do this. Use your brain. <sighs> um, so in Luke's version of this story, he actually ends this passage with one other line that, that didn't make it in Mark's story. Jesus says this, No one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. The old is good. And the question I feel like we have to sit with and wrestle with this morning is what are the old things here in this body and in our lives that we've said, it's great. I like the old wine. <laughs> Tastes good. It's my preference. Those Pharisees, they fasted every Monday and every Thursday. But that was never a command from the Lord. That was a self-contrived responsibility they gave themselves. And they were so devoted to what they said they would do. We've told all these people, we fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Like, this is what we're doing. And they're missing out on the moment <laughs> that they've been fasting for all these years. They miss it because they're so devoted to what they said they would do. I, I had a mentor recently challenge me with this exact thing. She said, don't be so committed to keeping your own word that you miss out on the invitation of God. Wow. And it was hitting me so hard all week as I was reading this. Because like, that's what I see the Pharisees doing. Like They're so committed. to the, Well, this is what I said I was going to do. I got to keep my word, you know? 
And I'm all for keeping our word. Like, let us be people of integrity. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. Like, we need to be people of integrity. But are we so committed to the things we've made up that we need to do <laughs> that we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> are we so locked in that we've lost all flexibility? You know, that's what he's looking for in the new wineskin. New wine is for new wineskins. He's looking for a people that are flexible, that still have some stretch, that have some give in them, that aren't just going to crack and bust open if he pours something new out. Are we going to be that people? I learned this week that um, apparently young wine is actually the wine that has all the, the antioxidants and the anti-inflammatory properties. So as a wine ages, it actually loses 90% of the stuff in it that's good for you and keeps you young and healthy. Um, it just hit me. I'm like, man, I love it when science just like makes Jesus's analogies so much more real. Like, are we living in here or are we dying in here? Like, what are we choosing? You know, like, are we choosing the stuff that gives life or the stuff that's going to kill us? Okay. So... At this point in the message, some of you might be thinking to yourselves, did I miss something? Is there like a week of fasting this week and I didn't know about it? <laughs> Surprise? No, just kidding. Um, the truth is like we're, we're just making our way through the book of Mark. We're just going passage by passage. And this is what Jesus had to say today. This is what he had to say. So, so there's something in this for us. <laughs> um, I will say I'm so encouraged that as a body we've, we've begun to take steps towards making fasting a more regular part of our lives together um, beyond just a week in January. And starting off the year together is always awesome. It's a long time till January again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we've started um, on the second Fridays of the month saying, hey guys, let's fast together all day. Um, and let's come together in the evening and pray together and worship. That's beautiful. I think it's a really good start in the right direction. I don't think it's all of what God's asking from us, though. I really don't. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and they're going to lead us um, back into worship with a song called New Wine. How appropriate. Um, but... My encouragement to you as we end our time worshiping together is to think about a few things. I'm going to throw a few questions out here. Um, God, what is it you would have of me? Like, where in my life do I need to be more flexible for what you're saying? Where are you wanting to stretch me? Have I, have I really given myself to, um, to the call on this body to fast and worship, to fast and pray? Am I really engaging when, when the rest of my brothers and sisters are saying like, hey, let's do this? Am I really all in? Is there more that you're asking of me? Maybe it's not just the Friday. Maybe he wants you to start Wednesday morning and, and do three days. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a meal every week he's asking you to give up. Maybe there's something permanent in your life he wants you to give up 
There's this phrase, fasted lifestyle. feels so contrary to our American way of life as 24-7 consumers. <laughs> but he's called us to be a set-apart people. A set-apart people. I got to sh- gotta share one story with you that was really hitting me this week. I've been listening to um, The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. It's like a real old book. <laughs> Somehow I just now came upon it. Um, no, I'm kidding. My mom used to talk about it all the time when I was younger. But if you're not familiar, the audiobook is awesome. Download the audiobook and listen to it or read it. Um, but it's just the story of a, of a young guy trying to follow Jesus. He's a pastor. And um, just, you know, great little church about our size. Things are going good. People like him. People are getting saved once in a while. Like, there seems to be favor and blessing and he's getting bored. You know, he's feeling this restlessness, like, isn't there something more? And um, he had this habit of um, family would go to bed and he would watch TV from 12 p.m. to about 2 a.m. almost every night. And it was his time, you know, like my unwind time, like get away, everything. And the Lord challenged him. What if you um, started praying during your TV time instead? And um, there's a really funny story about how he decides to give up his TV. He, like, puts the Lord to the test. He, he um, advertises that he's, he has his TV for sale in the newspaper. This was way back before, you know, other kinds of ways of selling things. There was no Facebook marketplace. So he puts an ad in the newspaper, and he tells his wife, I'm going to give God 30 minutes. Once those newspapers hit the street, If somebody calls saying they want to buy this television in 30 minutes, then I know it's a sign from the Lord I'm supposed to give it up. (laughs) 29 minutes later, (laughs) somebody calls, offers to buy the television. He doesn't even know how much to ask for it because he hadn't even, he didn't really think somebody was going to (laughs) call. He ends up selling his TV and beginning to spend every night for two hours in prayer. God begins to wreck him for you want to know what like the most hardened um addicts and gang members on the streets of new york and this was at a time in our history when heroin had just hit the streets and nobody knew what to do about heroin addiction and the lord began to send him as a small town skinny white no one nothing guy into the streets of new york with the power of the holy spirit and he just began to see and he has he tells all his failures in there too like it's not all glitz and glam but there is story after story after story of the power of God breaking forth into people's lives and I just feel like it wasn't an accident that I I was just listening to that and I want to just I just want to offer that to you and not as a prescription but as an example as an example um is there something in your life that he's asking you to give up in exchange for a way better story, for more power, for more life, for more of his presence. Is there something more that we can give him? Is there more surrender? So we enter worship now. I just want to remind us, like, we're friends of the bridegroom. We weren't sitting at the table that day, um, but we've all met him. And we're his friends. 
And yeah, he was talking about the guy sitting next to him, but he was talking about us too. And even though the bridegroom Jesus has left the earth, his spirit inside of us groans and longs for his return, for him to come and make all things right. But will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Will he find faith? Thank you for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, like, and rate. And if you're not already, you can follow us on social media by searching for Detroit Church.